Well, as we gather as the Christ Journey family, the beginning of a new calendar year, may I just remind you once again that nothing is too hard for God. And based on his, not only his sovereign ability and his power, but on his kindness toward us, his word says that we can boldly come to the throne of grace to find help for our time of need. So whatever time of need you are facing right now, may I just remind you that it's not too hard for God and that we're bringing it to him to invite his presence and his blessing to meet us today. Amen? And so wherever you're joining us, we're inviting him right there in that space to meet you there with this reminder that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now, I have no idea if it's going to be 2022, this very year, when we see him coming in the clouds as he promised, but he is coming again, and that means that the time to be ready is now. Jesus said the Son of Man is going to come again in glory with his angels to take his throne, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. The Bible mentions his coming, his second coming, 318 times in 280 chapters from Matthew through Revelation. And that means that one in 25 verses of the New Testament speak of Christ's second coming. His apostles believed he would be coming again. The early Christians believed that he would be coming again. The angels that were there when the disciples were watching Jesus ascend and be caught up in the cloud, they, they said this to him, chapter Acts 1, verse 11, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go to heaven. So the time to be ready is now. One day evil will be overthrown, absolute justice and holy righteousness will prevail, His, God's will will be done, and on that day, I got to tell you this, you're going to want your name in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to want to be what the scripture calls covered by the blood of the Lamb. You're going to want to be clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? Because your personal self-righteousness will not be enough, and it will be exposed on that day. The book of Revelation was written to ready us for that day, comforting believers that were being persecuted at the very time of its writing, strengthening churches who were, whose trajectories were off point that needed to get corrected, and then helping us, every one of us, battle Satan and battle sin and become overcomers ready when eternity breaks through. So the question the book is really asking is, are you ready? You know, how would you answer the question? Are you ready? Jesus' second coming is a major teaching of Christ himself and of his church all through history. Now, some avoid it because it's been so distorted and so abused. Maybe that creates a hesitancy in your mind as well. I relate to that. Some avoid it. Some stay away from it because the book of Revelation, frankly, is just so confusing. You start reading it, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Sometimes, because it's scary. Some people avoid it. I had a woman in, a, in my church in Texas who said, you know, I don't read that book. It's just way too scary. Well, maybe it's, and it is scary, and it's mysterious. It's got bizarre imagery and strange apocalyptic language. We'll see what that, we'll talk about that word in just a moment. And yet, it is the only book of the entire Bible that promises blessing 
to the one who reads it out loud, to those who hear it, and then to those who take it to heart. By the way, it takes about an hour and a half to read. And in my, out loud, in my preparation for this message since last September, I have listened to the audio version on Version Bible. I can't tell you how many times in five translations because I want that blessing. I want that awareness. I want that blessing. And then I want to share it with you. So we are going to be reading the text out loud through the series over the next few months. And in our journey through it, here's why. Because I want the full blessing of God, whatever that means from him, to be on me, to be on you, and whatever comes into our future, that we're going to receive the blessing of God. By the way, speaking of blessing, did you know that this is the book of the Bible that inspired Handel in his magnificent Messiah to write the Hallelujah Chorus? I mean, we'll get to that. There are other surprises along the way. Um, The topic is frightening. If you're paying attention at all, it's frightening. But you know what? So is life. So is life. Like right now, uh, the chaos, the unfolding chaos of drama and uh, of evil and suffering in the world. Jesus spoke of a time in his ministry, Matthew chapter 24, this is what he said, when nations will be in anguish and in perplexity. They got pain and they got questions. People will faint from terror. Strength will be drained out of them because of fear and apprehension of what's coming on the world. Now, that sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? But then he says this right away. When these things begin to happen, stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So bad news for evil comes with good news for God's people. And uh, we may, that means we may be afraid even as we face the world this coming new year or as we open the pages of the book of Revelation, but we can still stand tall with our heads held high because in Christ, life is still looking up. That's what he's saying, that Jesus is coming. So, you know, as I prepared for study leave last fall, I put out an invitation on social media just asking, you know, what issues, what concerns, what topics would you like me to consider addressing in my teaching? Two-thirds of the responses that came in were about the end times, were about the second coming of Christ, were about the book of Revelation, two-thirds of them. So I'm thinking, you know, people are wondering about this within our church body, beyond our church body as well, and not just believers. If you look at a list of movies that have been made over the past several decades about, with apocalyptic themes, you will find this. This is what I found. About 40 a year, 40 movies have been made every year with an apocalyptic theme of some kind until this last decade, 2010 to 2019, 108 movies. That's almost three times as many. You know, people are making movies, people are paying to go to movies about this theme. So I'm thinking, well, people are wondering about it. We're talking about it, right? People are obviously interested. But in our interest, here's what the Bible tells us. We are not to be occupied with his coming, but we are to occupy until he comes and be ready to help everybody who will pay attention be ready as well. So... Over the years of Christian history, there have been basically seven approaches 
that have been made in seeking to understand, interpret, and apply the message of the book of Revelation to our lives. I listed those seven in the uh, message notes. There's a PDF on our Christ Journey app. For those of you that follow along in the message notes, you'll find them there. Maybe you didn't know that, but I'm hoping that that'll just be one of many things that you don't know yet that we will be learning together as we unpack this over the next few weeks. Um, Those approaches, by the way, four of them are listed in the New International Version Life Application Study Bible. I've mentioned that before. If you have not yet picked one of those up for your own reference library at home, then this would be a good time to do that because the footnotes under the verses in that from a collection of scholars, widely a wide collection of scholars, will help you when you've got your questions and then you're looking down to say, oh, oh, Well, that's how I would apply that. So I want to say, don't be concerned that there are a variety of approaches that have been offered to try to unlock its meaning for our use. Um, The ones I'm talking about, each of them come from Christ-following, Bible-believing, devoted disciples who want to be faithful to the text and then help believers like us fulfill Christ's mission in our life for our time. Uh, In fact, a former professor of mine who was writing on the topic said that the National Conference on Biblical Inerrancy that was held in San Diego clearly stated that a person's view of interpreting revelation was not to be seen as a test of orthodoxy. What does that mean? That means if even Bible-believing, Christ-following, God-honoring scholars who seek to be led by the Holy Spirit have a difference of understanding and are making room for different ideas, and perhaps we likewise should bring some humility to our study as well. What am I trying to say with that? If you hear me say something that doesn't sound like something that you've heard before, then that would be a time to say, well, I wonder how that works. How, can we understand something together and make room for greater understanding as we seek to uh, apply that meaning. And obviously we want to ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to open our understanding as we read, as we hear, as we take it to heart. Um, uh, So I want to say that at the same time, there are those who have abused and distorted and, uh, and abused this book in the extreme to the damage of people, and to our understanding, and to our trust of God. And so we want to avoid that, applying it in unchristlike ways. So what we want to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help us with the collective scholarship of Bible interpreters from those main approaches that I've listed to avoid those abuses. So wanted you to have some understanding of where I'm going with this. Why? Because it's a confusing book. Because it requires thought and prayer and spiritual illumination and humility and understanding because it's been written in uh, powerful symbols. It's a book of symbolism. It's a book of apocalyptic language. That's its own genre in scripture and in history. That means it's a kind of encryption code that it really doesn't start making sense until you learn the code and then you start decoding it And then you can follow along and unwrap it for yourself, which is why I'd love for you to have that Bible resource for yourself so that you can be reading along and checking it for yourself. Um, Then something else that I want to say at the very outset here, I absolutely believe that it is impossible 
for a person to outsin the grace of God. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And yet at the same time, I believe that if you choose not to receive it personally, then you won't be experiencing it eternally. And that is a message that the book of Revelation makes very, very clear. That if you choose not to receive God's grace that is offered to you, then you will not experience it. If you resist it, if you rebel against it, if you seek to replace it with something else, instead of simply receiving it as a gift from God and surrender your life, we love him because he first loved us, then God will let you have your way. Which means that you will enter eternity and never experience the eternal salvation that God has for you in Christ. So I want to say, don't be that guy. Let's let's join the study together and journey all the way into forever with him. Because here's what Jesus said in anticipation of the second coming. Just as it was in the days of Noah, Matthew 24, 37, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up to the day that Noah entered the ark. I think, um, and, and they knew nothing. Think about this. They were just doing their own thing, going on with life as, as usual, and not until Noah entered the ark did they know anything about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's what Jesus said. And then here's what he says. That's how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, hey, may God grant us grace as we hear and respond to receive his truth and his word and his salvation. Now, we don't usually do this, but I'm going to invite you to do something today to stand with me as we read the scripture. Would you just stand mid-message that we might give our attention intentionally to what I'm about to read and what you're about to hear. And yes, those of you joining at home, we're doing it in our house. I want you to do it in your house. Just get up right now. Let's stand and give our attention to hearing Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Please be seated. So, we got some questions answered right up front. For instance, who is this from? Who's it coming from? Verse 1, God, Jesus Christ, through an angel sent to John. So, what we're supposed to understand is these aren't merely the ideas of a man or a woman who said, hey, let's come up with a new thing. The words of God as their source. Well, who's it for then? If that's who it's from, verse 1 says, his servants, are you a servant of God? And whoever will listen. (laughs) Are you willing to listen? Then this is for you. The blessing is for you, if you'll take it to heart. Well, what is it for? What what are we doing here? Apocalypse, that word means unveiling. 
It's a disclosure. It's like a big reveal. We've seen those on shows, right? The big reveal. Well, that's what that means. The word apocalypse, which, by the way, is the first word of the Greek text in the Revelation, apocalypse. There's a big reveal about to happen, an unveiling, as visions are being made known, and, uh, and God's word is revealed, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what is its promise? I mean, what's going to come my way if I do that? Blessing. That's a surprise. Maybe you hadn't thought about blessing when you think about revelation, but that's God's intention. The one who reads is going to be blessed. If you read, the one who hears is going to be blessed. The one who takes to heart what is said, making ready for the coming of the Lord. Would you stand again for the reading of verses 4 and 5? You know, we're just trying to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, some of you are wondering, what, here, what? No, we're just trying to do what he just said. Pay attention. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. And so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, was, and is to come, the Almighty. Please be seated. Man. <laughs> so now we're getting a little bit peel back on the recipients. The recipients are the seven churches in Asia. They're real churches at that time, and yet they're representative churches of all time, and so we're going to see ourselves in them, and, uh, and that's coming next week, next chapter uh, 2 and 3. And the blessing we receive here is from the God of everlasting power, the vision that we just perceived, the God of everlasting power who's revealing himself as a tri-unity, the I am who is always in the present tense, whether it is, was, and is to come. The I am is fueling all of this as the source and sustainer of life. That's Father God. And then he says, next, there are seven spirits. I thought there was only one Holy Spirit. Well, remember, we're speaking symbolically here. Seven spirits, seven is the word that represents perfection, completion in perfection. So seven churches, seven spirits, we're already speaking in symbol. And then Jesus Christ, God's son, as the faithful witness, that's the one who brings the whole truth fearlessly, even if it means death. But when he dies, we meet in him the firstborn of among the dead. So now the source, ruler, origin of all creation, supreme authority over all who are dead and all those in power among the living. That's what he's stating here the ruler of the kings of the earth, the emperor over all kings. Now, Rome at the time would find that very offensive because they thought they were supreme in the earth. You know, the Roman power, 
And we're going to find out a little bit later in the Revelation that there would be coming one known as the Antichrist who likewise will be setting himself up to say, no, I'm supreme ruler over all the earth. And right here in chapter 1, Jesus is saying, no. The truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth is that as the faithful witness, you will discover that I am the emperor of the rulers of the earth. To God's glory forever and ever, amen. Amen means so be it, let it be. I'm the one who can make things happen. That's what he's saying. So what is the it that is going to be? Verse 7, Christ is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Those who pierced him, all peoples on earth will mourn. How is that going to happen? Everybody can see him, even the dead who pierced him. I mean, in our day, you know what? We have the ability in a way that they never imagined in the first century to be able to all be seeing the same image in real time globally. First, we had it in TV. Now we've got it. Everybody's got a screen everywhere you go. It could actually happen in real time worldwide, and not all who are watching it happen are going to be happy about it. This is like an emotional heads up. It says there's going to be mourning in the streets that day. It's like a reality check. Some aren't going to like it, but you know what? It's still going to happen. And now we hear from the one who holds all of history in himself. He says, so shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, says the Lord God, who is, was, and is to come, the Almighty. So John's first vision is next. We pick that one up in verse 9, and we're going to read to verse 20. Would you stand for the final reading of the day and give our attention that is so easily distracted to the vision that he was told to write? John your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus was on Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet that said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and a golden sash around his chest and the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow and his eyes were blazing like fire and his feet were bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining, brilliant, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. 
Verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the stars that you saw in my right hand and of the golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the churches. Please be seated. Wow, wait, wait, what? (laughs) What? What is that? Well, you know what? John is in exile now. He's on the Isle of Patmos. It's this little stretch of land, six miles wide, 10 miles long. And he's worshiping on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. By the way, the same day that Rome was now commanded and demanded to worship the emperor. And John is doing that. <laughs> he's worshiping the king of all kings. And, uh, and putting Christ first, not the government. This is 95 AD, which means John is now in his 90s, and God interrupts his worship with this uh, image and sound vision of seven golden lampstands. Now, throughout the Bible, the lampstand has represented Israel. In the Old Testament time, the lampstand was kept in the holy place of the tabernacle and of the temple, and now John sees Jesus Christ himself uh, in the midst of that holy place where the churches that follow him are the lampstand, the new Israel, the new covenant that is now taking the gospel to the nations. And there in their midst of those seven lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. You know, Jesus' most used term of self-reference was that, Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And then we're given a sevenfold description of the Son of Man. What did he look like? Remember, seven means perfect, like all there. So he was all there in these perfections, and God's vision begins with uh, his clothing. Actually, God's vision begins with Not information to be known, but what? A person. Not information to be communicated, but a person to be known. The the one that looks like the Son of Man. This is personal. This isn't just informational. And what he sees is that he's dressed with a robe and a golden sash. That was clothing worn by the Old Testament priest that would signify Christ as our high priest that now comes with judicial authority. His snowy white hair represents pure wisdom gained and garnered by experience over time. His incarnate experience now demonstrated. The eyes, his eyes were blazing with fire, like able to penetrate through and get right to the heart of the truth, like uh, an x-ray or an MRI. His feet, like bronze from a furnace, that show they were able to stand the heat of judgment without melting. It's the image of one that is so pure and so strong that he has been tested and found true in every way. When we put kings, political power leaders to the test here, we discover they have clay feet. Not so with this one whose feet has stood the heat of judgment without melting. 
And then his voice when he speaks, uh, the sound of rushing waters. You know, the first time that I hiked down the Grand Canyon was in college with a roommate friend of mine. And when we got down to the Colorado River, we stood right on the bank of it. And I remember just standing about 10 yards, 15 yards from John and just shouting at the top of my lungs, hey, John. And he didn't even turn to see me because he couldn't hear me because the river was rushing in such a roar of power. So likewise, his voice was one that was not to be ignored. That's what he says. And then in his right hand, that was the hand of power, the hand of favor, were seven stars. The angels, the messengers of the churches that shine in the darkness to shed light through the night. And then coming out of his mouth, there was this double-edged sword. It was sharp on both edges. And of course, we read that the word of God is a double-edged sword. And then his face was just brilliant, like the sun. Like the sun. Like, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, translucent, his inner glory was shining through his body as if it were translucent. And it was the, this is a vision of the glory of Christ that John had likewise seen that part of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 17, John says, I just collapsed. You know, I was like a heap at his feet. And the first thing he did was just reach out and he placed his hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. And what I'm hearing in that and then what he said that followed, he says, I've got you covered. I've got you covered in time. I've got you covered. I'm the first and I'm the last. You know, I, it's all in my hand, so I've got you covered. And then he says, I've got you covered in life. Because you know what? I was alive. I died. And hey, look, I'm living forever. So whatever comes your way in life and death, I've got you covered. Here's why you don't need to be afraid. I got you covered in time. I got you covered in life. I got you covered in eternity. See these keys right here? Hades, the grave, what comes after this life, I've got the keys to that life too. So then he says, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to write this down. Write what you have seen and uh, what, you, what is now and what will take place later. So see, some of what we read is going to be for first century time that can then be applied for all time, and some of it, he said, is about what's coming later. But the first word he brings isn't informational, it's comfort, it's personal, it's emotional. He says, don't be afraid. Fear not. So as we're going to see, Jesus is coming. Rescue is coming. Justice is coming. Scary times are in front of us, yes, but now we're shown the reason why we don't need to fear. Why? He says, well, the mystery of the stars and the lampstands. In other words, I'm, I've got you in my hands that will be shining your light in a dark place through the night, and I am in your midst with the churches. I'm holding you, I'm with you, you are not alone, I'm holding you tight, come what may. And as he reveals his glory, and we continue to see our need and our weaknesses this year, Jesus assures us of his presence, and of his word, and of his touch. 
And that helps me right now because this year, as we look forward, is going to be full of challenge and change. We don't know what's out there. Uncertainty yet to be resolved. We will be in need. That's something that's certain. And uh, he will not fail to be with us. And he will not stop holding on to us. And uh, we may be startled, and we may be tempted to fear or despair, despair, but here's what we know. There's a fourth man with us who's already been through the furnace, and he has promised to be with us, come what may, to the end of the age. In fact, the only ones who need to be afraid, according to the first chapter of the book of Revelation, are those who are not in his hands. Which really raises the question there, in whose hands are you facing the future? In whose hands are you seeking to do life? With Jesus as our high priest, our sovereign king, and our safe place, I want to tell you this, I'm bullish about 2022. I'm enthusiastic. I don't know any more than I've already said to you about that, but here's what I know. I will be in need, and my life is in his hands. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm doing 2022, and whatever else is out there, I'm going to be in need, but he's going to keep holding me. So I just want to ask you to join me there. As we face this new year together and as we open his book together and as we look forward into the future together, could we say, what better place could there be for us than in his hands? Now, how do we get there? Well, let me suggest to you, we've already been doing it today. You listen to him. You open your ears for the blessing. You look at him. You give him your attention and see him and get to know him. And then you let him lead you. That's how you get in his hands. And you can do it right now as we pray. Would you pray with me? Don't know what last year looked like to you. Don't know what the new year has in store for you. But right now, Lord, we as those gathered want to say, we're listening to you, we're looking at you, and we want to let you guide us forward. So we invite you to lead us and place our hand in your nail-scarred hand where those stars will be held secure through the night. Do you do that? Whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you right now, sister, brother, all of me, Lord, I am releasing to all that I know about you and inviting you to take me forward. I'm in your hands. And now perhaps you're a guest with us today or you've been a, re a repeat guest in joining us or maybe this is your first time joining us in physical or digital presence and God wants to meet you right there and begin your Christ journey right now. You can pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I receive the gift of salvation by your grace. And now teach me as I turn from my way and learn to go your way into the future of peace as you promise. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, our heads are still bowed just for a moment, and you would let me invite God's blessing upon your next step of faith, then would you simply raise your hand and keep it up for just a moment while I'm... And then if you're joining us online, there's a place right there where you can let us know and we will join you in prayer as well. Thank you. Thank you. In the back toward the side, on my right, to my left, God bless you. Amen. Lord Jesus, for every person whose hand was just raised as a a signal to a heart that's been open, we invite your presence and your blessing and your peace to meet them according to your promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.